Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Well, good morning, Heights family. Great to see you today. As we get started here, I want to go back to the beginning of our service. Do you remember hearing an announcement that sounded kind of strange? Next week, we're not streaming our service. Sorry for all of you who watch online. Uh, we have a guest speaker next week. By the way, the Heaven and Hell series is not over. This was planned. Uh, we are, we're, we're bringing him in. He's been to our church before. I don't believe he's spoken from the platform, but he's been involved with us uh, before. He has both a local and an international uh, ministry. Uh, some of us have been involved with that and uh, is just a, a, an incredible person. He's written a book recently and it, it's done really, really well. I love the book. And I said, hey, would you come and, and share on that? You will be so encouraged, so challenged about how God can use you. You just like you as you are. Uh, we're we're going to have a great time with him next week. So the whole thing, especially his international work, uh, his access into a country. He works with athletes, and he has to go through governments uh, to work with these athletes, and we're reaching nations and governments that are not usually open to doing that. And so that's why the, the whole security issue, we will not, not be using his name. Uh, it's not even his real name when he's up here next week, so. Just letting you know that. But we're going to have a great time with them. We're real excited. Also gives us, a, we're using October to kind of re-energize, re-emphasize our, our mission work. You know, during COVID, uh, local missions exploded. We, we, we've seen that grow great links and bounds during COVID. Of course, internationally, it just kind of went straight down. Well, we are getting that back up and running. We've already been to Nicaragua in the last couple of months. We're leaving again in just a week or two. I think next Sunday, we, we pray for them as they get ready to go. Uh, West Rose, our missions pastor, and Dale, our worship pastor, are actually in Zimbabwe today, kind of scouting out. We've been there before, but just looking afresh at what we can do, what kind of teams we can take there. I believe Dale was leading worship this morning at Bulawayo Baptist Church. Uh, So we are getting that all up and running and wanting to get that out in front of you uh, during this month of October. But uh, today, we are still uh, in the Heaven and Hell series, and we'll be, even with next week, we'll be in that into uh, November. You know, last week, gosh, so much fun. How exciting is it to think about, to talk about heaven, even afterward, discussions and questions? It's just fun talking about heaven, right? Yeah. Okay, so today, not so much fun. Today, we we go to the the other place, and we see that, and and you have to see both. And uh, you know what? All joking aside about that not so fun, uh, you know, hell is going to be, if not one of, maybe the most disturbing concepts in our faith, in, in, in the Christian doctrine. The idea that vast numbers, uh, not a few, I, I think if you're working with the scripture at all, you're going to get the idea that vast numbers of people are, are going to go to hell. And some of these are going to be people that you and I know and love because we all have people that we know and love that have not yet, and time may prove, will not come to Christ. 
And it's just very uncomfortable to think about that. As a matter of fact, we, we don't like talking about it. We don't talk about it very much. And I think so often when we do, it's just in the absolute vaguest of terms. My guess is, I don't, I don't know this as a fact, but I, I believe it with all my heart. <laughs> my guess is you could go, all believers could go to any church in America, and for the next five years... The tremendous majority of those believers, maybe 80% or higher, will not hear the word hell one time. I'm not talking about a sermon or a Bible study or a teaching. I'm saying they'll never hear the word even one time. It's just easier to not talk about. But is that good? Is that safe? You know who does talk about it quite a bit? Jesus. He talks about it a lot. Now, as we start to think about what God, what Jesus has told us, you know, I I think a couple of things we need to kind of have as some ground rules as we study this and think about it. Number one, your comfort level, my comfort level is not the standard by what is true here. And I, and I say that because you will read, hear, see a variety of ideas about hell that are nowhere found in the Bible. Well, where did they come from? My comfort level. I, I needed to get held down to something I feel comfortable thinking and talking about it. And big, big parts of our faith have done that. They've let their comfort be what guides them on what God's word says. Your, your comfort level is not the standard. You know what else is not the standard is your and my concept of love and justice. So many of our questions about hell were, were questioning God. You know, how could, how could a loving God, right? Ever heard that? Sure you have. How could a loving God? You, you know, folks, you and I do not have a greater understanding of love and justice than does God. As a matter of fact... Our understanding of love and justice is so far from God's that it's closer to evil. Now, I imagine everybody in here, you've got somebody you have, you do, love with all your heart. Do you realize you've never come close to loving them like God loves them? Not not even comparable. There's no comparison. So as we struggle... With God's love and justice on this topic, let's remember we're not struggling from a sense of how we've reached the standard of love and justice. Now, as we start a topic on on hell today, I I thought this might be a good place to bring in purgatory. We have to bring it in somewhere, right? We're talking about the afterlife, what happens after we die, and and for some of us, we think, hey, that in purgatory somewhere, it's kind of in between, right? You, you go to purgatory, it's a very hell-like experience, but you can work your way out. You can have somebody pray you out. You can even, and this happens, and I don't, I don't know if this is Catholic teaching or not, but I know people will actually pay the church to pray them out of purgatory. That might be a great way for raising funds, I'm not sure it's accurate. Now, the, again, the purgatory is primarily... A, a Catholic teaching. And I, I have two problems with purgatory. One, it is entirely based on working myself out of heaven. I'm going to do some, I'm going to clean up what didn't get done on earth 
and I'm going to work myself into a place where I am righteous before God or pay myself into a place or have somebody pray me into a place where I can stand right with God. When the Bible says so clearly that no work of mine will make me right with God. Does the Bible talk about good works? All the time. Man, as a child of God, my life is to be filled up with good works. These good works are giving evidence to the love and the forgiveness that I've received. They're evidence of my being a child of God, but they do not make me a child of God. And and it's not just those two passages, folks. Dozens of other passages say it as profoundly and clearly as those two. The other problem I have with purgatory is it's nowhere in my Bible. Not the word, not the concept. Not, well, some people look at it this way or there's this. No, there's not a way people look at it. There's not a Purgatory is not in the Bible. Now, in our faith tradition, we have one authority for our doctrine, and that's the Bible. At least that's the goal. I don't know that we always hit the target. But that's the idea that the way we think on God, serve God, love God, what we know about life and God, we get from one place, and, and that's the Bible. So since it's not in there, then, well, now our discussion of purgatory is over. We're, we're finished with it because I do not believe, I don't believe the Scripture believes that there is a purgatory. Now, one other thing I want to... Uh, say real quickly before we move on. You know, a moment ago, I just pointed up here at the screen, said something about, you know, our works don't save us, and there was a couple of verses referenced there at the end of that. Um, now, I, I trust that you, you're going to go home and read those verses. <laughs> you're supposed to giggle here, right? Yeah, I trust that you're going to go home and read those verses, and you trust me, and thank you for that. I think you do. And I hope I earn it week in and week out. I earn that trust. But you trust that when I put a line up there, whatever it's saying, and then put some verses beside it, that if you did go home and look at it, those verses would say that point I was making, right? Okay, again, I appreciate the trust. Crazy thing, God doesn't require you to trust me. That may be an overstatement. Yeah, I think God wants you to trust me. Ah, no, here's how we say it. Trust, but verify. You, you, that is actually a responsibility that you have. That when I'm up here, yeah, 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 yeah. Somewhere you should be able to say, okay, I see where he's getting that. I see what God is saying. We're interacting today with God's word, not Randy Hahn's word, not the Heights Baptist word, not Southern Baptist word. We're interacting with God's word. And it is your job to make sure this speaker, any speaker, is speaking in and with and out and through God's word. Now, having said all that, I'm not going to read any passage today. Now, if you're new to our church, I'm sorry, that's not me. That's why I'm making this little defense right now. You know, normally we, we say, I say, hey, turn to this passage, and we all turn there, and I read. Man, last week, did you know, anybody have me on the clock last week? Took six minutes to read last week's passage. You know, I know it's not usually that long, but I'll, I'll read a passage and then I'll set the Bible down and then we're going to work with that passage. And I may refer to other verses, but it's helping us understand that passage. Well, I'm not going to 
open and read today because we've got a lot of ideas, a lot of verses, and I'm just going to get them out there in front of you. And I really want to encourage you to go home and read those. Whether you're taking notes off the screen or you're using our app, which is tremendous. I always look for an opportunity to promote our app. Uh, There's a lot of things you can do on the app with our church, but the sermon, you can listen to it anytime. You can go back and the sermon notes are there right now. So everything you're going to see on the screen is there in the app, and you have the ability to edit it. You can add things, add your own notes, you can share it, so you you don't have to take pictures or vigorously write, though you're more than welcome to. It's all written down for you in the app. You're going to see a lot of verses, and so I want you to know why I'm just pointing to them today and not necessarily reading them. So having just said I'm not going to read a passage, I guess that would be somewhat of a small lie. Not a good thing to do when we're talking about hell. Matthew 13. I do want to read one passage. Not necessarily a passage I'm working with. Just let's lay the groundwork. Let, let's hear Jesus speak. Let's hear God speak, and, and we'll move forward from there. Matthew 13, verse 41. The Son of Man will send his angels. They're all his. Did you know that? Every angel belongs to Jesus. He made them And they serve him and his will. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, I've said this the last two weeks. We're saying it today. The Bible is so clear, so abundantly saying there are two distinct places. There is a heaven and there is a hell. They are both forever. No other time, no other word related with time is applied to these two places other than the word eternal. And every person who's ever lived will go to one of these two places. Last week, we had the fun and exciting of just kind of getting an overview and seeing heaven. Today, we're going to try to understand hell in the same way. So three words, three words in your New Testament point us to what you and I refer as hell. That first word is Hades, Hades. And it is twice, as you can see there, translated, if you went to those passages, in the depths. One time it translated hell, two times it's in the grave. And then that last line is kind of important. It is equivalent to the Old Testament word Sheol. Sheol and Hades are the same thing. They are where people go who are not saved when they die. You say, I I thought they went to hell. No, hell is a future event. Hell is after a certain judgment takes place. When they die, they go to Hades or Sheol. Now, that might be kind of confusing, this whole, I just thought we went to heaven or or hell. You know what? Using those terms in a general sense, I I think it's appropriate, it's right to say we, we go to heaven or hell. But in a specific technical sense... In what the scripture communicates, when we die now, we go to Hades or Sheol as an unbeliever, as a believer, we go to paradise. Now, if this is just rocking your world a little bit, on the first Sunday in November, we're going to develop all this. Uh, My message that day is called, Where Do We Go When We Die? Which, by the way, the first Sunday in November is Friend Day. We haven't done a friend day in a long time. Man, invite your friends. Come to church. Come to life group and worship. And I, I think I can all but promise you when you tell them, hey, today we're talking about where people go when they die, there'll be some interest. I didn't say they'd say yes and come. 
But there'll be some interest. This is a message I've done a couple of times here, here at the Heights, and it always generates a lot of conversation and interest and usually connects a lot of dots for people. So I digress. Hades is where we go as an unsaved person right after we die. It is a hell-like experience. Hell begins in Hades, but hell itself a future judgment. The word uh, in the Greek that is going to be translated hell and be referring to that eternal place is Gehenna. And then Peter uses a word, it's just used one time in the New Testament, Tartaros, and it is, uh, it's equivalent to, it's a synonym for Gehenna. So Tartaros, Gehenna, both are referring to the eternal punishment. Now, when you look at all those verses, you'll notice a lot of them are in the Gospels. And in the Gospels, who's, who's teaching? Je- Jesus. Did you know that Jesus talks about hell more than anybody else in the Bible? It's not even close. Now, I always, I, I don't like the dis- dis- distinction Jesus taught on more than anybody else because it, it makes it sound like, oh, you know, I just, like sometimes some of us, right? I'm going to go to the New Testament. I'm going to read the words in red. Those are Jesus' words. Those are the ones that really count, Right? You know, every single word is Jesus. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, they're all Jesus' words. They all, each one belongs to him. That's what the scripture teaches. What's in red is just what Jesus said in his earthly ministry, but they're all his. And in Jesus' earthly ministry, he talked about hell more than anybody else in all the Bible. So last week we saw four things about heaven. Today we're going to see four things that Jesus taught us about hell. Number one, (coughs) excuse me, number one, he says people do go to an eternal punishment. It's Jesus that tells us that the punishment is eternal. Now I've, I've said this before, I think I'm going to say it one more time. Hey, this is This is clearly one of the more, it's not just hell, it's that it's forever. I'm reading a book right now called uh, 23 Minutes in Hell by by Bill Wise. I've read about three-fourths of it, and a very interesting book. uh, There's a few things in it I have some question marks about uh, that that create some concerns for me and what he's communicating, but something he does really well, whatever his experience, because what he's trying to communicate to us is that he, he actually went to hell, and so then he's describing what that was. Now, whatever actually did happen to him What he's describing does line up with a lot of passages in Scripture. And as I was reading that, do you know the first thought that came to my mind was not, why is it this way or why is it this way? The very first thought came to my mind was, Lord, this would happen forever? Somebody could could, could suffer like this forever? And, and I'll be honest with you, as, as the one who stands before you and teaches about God and his word, I don't, I don't get it. I, I don't understand eternal punishment. I also don't understand eternal reward. I also don't fully grasp God's love. I don't grasp God's judgment. I don't grasp God's justice. Probably the big thing I don't grasp, and, and you don't either, I don't grasp holiness. And the cleanest piece of evidence that you really have no concept of God's holiness is all of the times, more than you can count, up to recently, that you minimized your sin or justified your sin. See, I don't know about you, I've never committed a big sin. 
Now, whoo, I got a pile of little ones. All I just said is I have no concept of what holiness is. And so my faith, my trust is, is the reason I don't understand eternal punishment is because there's just so much I can't grasp. There's so many dots I can't connect. But one day I will. One day I'll see God's love, God's justice, God's holiness, the reward, the punishment, and and it's going to make sense. Right now, I think, man, barely hanging on to grasp and understand, not punishment, but that that punishment would be eternal. And and as we think on that, and I could put this almost anywhere in this message, I I think we do need to remind ourselves, God doesn't, God, God finds no joy in this. God's not looking forward today. He get well, toss you in there, and boy, you're going to burn bright forever. You know that we chuckle. I would chuckle at that. I said that so we would chuckle. Do you know who would never chuckle at what I just said? God. Old and New Testament, because we always think God's a little angrier in the old, don't we? No, 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 no. Old and New Testament. God says, I take no joy in this. Ezekiel 33, 11. He says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But that they live. That's what I want. That's what I've worked for. That's what I've provided for is for them to live. His joy is to see everybody. He's provided for everybody to enter heaven. You know, folks, we... uh, We talk a lot about being saved. If you don't understand hell and you're not thinking on hell, then you don't know what you've been saved from. I haven't been saved from being a bad boy. I haven't been saved because I haven't done everything perfect. I haven't been saved because I make mistakes. What Jesus is, we sing about it, right? Mighty to save. He was mighty to rescue me out of hell. It is an eternal punishment. Second thing that that Jesus teaches, he describes hell as, of course, this is the verse we just read. He describes hell as a blazing furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, I I don't even know what to add to that, how to interpret that. I, I guess on number two, I would say some of the same things I said about last week when I said, don't try to figure out the symbolism. Don't try to figure out the metaphor. Don't try to figure out what he really means. Read, read it for what it says. Don't, gosh, I wonder what Jesus is saying here. He says, you're going to be in a lake of fire where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, it's interesting referring back to last week and and thinking about heaven. Man, you read, like I said, I read one passage. It took six minutes. There's, hell's complicated. In a wonderfully glorious way, hell is complicated. There's so much to unwrap, so much to understand, so many different ideas. It's so exciting. Hell is incredibly simplistic. There's not lots of ideas. There's not different things to line up and work through. Torment, darkness, weeping, gnashing, utter aloneness. You, 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 you ever heard somebody say or seen a t-shirt? I have. I'd rather be in hell with my friends than, you, you know, fill in the blank. No, no, you wouldn't. There may be no, no more stupid statement that has come out of the mouth of a person than I'd... I'd rather be burning in agony in a house with my friends 
I'd like not to be your friend. I mean, really, I... And you won't, you won't enjoy... Matter of fact, look at number three. That's Jesus. That's actually the passage, little sneak preview, that the passage I'll be drawing from in November when I talk about where we go when we die. When it says there's not a single moment of rest from the agony, the, the, the person in Hades, they're not even in hell yet. This is just Hades asks for not a whole eight-ounce glass of water. That'd be crazy. No, just I just want to drop off a finger. And there is no drop. D- do you know why? Because, I mean, again, you could read that and think, boy, I tell you what, when God's angry, boy, when God's getting even, boy, when God's punishing, woo, that's... No, folks, hell, and I've got another message in this series called What Makes Heaven Heaven and What Makes Hell Hell. Again, sneak preview, it's God. And in hell, it is the absence of God because people in hell spend a lifetime saying, I don't need God. I don't need you telling me how I can live. I don't need you telling me what is right and wrong. I can determine who I am, what I am, and what I'll do. So I get what I requested, the absence of God. Well, folks, every good thing comes from God. 2 Corinthians 1.3 says that he is the father of mercy. That, that doesn't mean he's real merciful. That means all the mercy there is flows out of him and from him. There is no mercy to experience that did not originate from God. So if God is entirely absent, there is no mercy. There's no mercy, there's no comfort, there's no sleep. Sleep is a gift from God. There's no friendship. You won't enjoy. You will not enjoy. Well, at least I'm here with... No, no. The, 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 the joy of fellowship, the joy of gathering, the, the joy and satisfaction of love and intimacy, that's all from God. There's none of that in hell. None. Zero. Because it's the entire absence of God. Number four, he describes it as a lake of fire. It is a lake of fire for Satan. The Antichrist, which by the time we get to the end of Revelation, we know these are some bad dudes, right? Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and all those not written in the Lamb's book of life. All the, the unsaved. Now you say, hey, wait a minute. That, all the references for that are Revelation. I, I, I thought you were look, we were looking at stuff that Jesus taught. Well, if you go back to the beginning of Revelation, which John wrote and gave us, the Apostle John, his, his first line is, this is a revelation from Jesus. Everything I'm writing down is just what Jesus showed me, what, what, what Jesus said. So Jesus taught us there is a lake of fire, and it is forever. You know, I could say there's more. There is more. There's more passages. There's some ideas I, I, I haven't I haven't covered. But again, I refer to the simplicity. There's a lot of repetitiveness. But I tell you, as you as you walk through Scripture, folks, hell's actually one of the clearest doctrines in all the Bible. Pretty clear who it's for, what it is, and how long it lasts. And disagreements and discussions and different ideas. Uh, you know, some people believe, well, when we die, we'll be annihilated. You know, I'll just cease to exist. Well, that's no punishment at all. I mean, yeah, I don't get heaven, but if, if I don't know, if I don't exist, I don't know I've, I've lost anything either. So then somebody came back. I love how we're working anything but what God said. 
We said, no, 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 this is what hell is. You go to hell, serve a sentence of some sort, and then you're annihilated. Again, none of those ideas are in Scripture. That's just our trying to find a comfortable way, a reasonable way to talk about heaven other than what God has said. It's pretty simple and straightforward when you look at all the doctrines in Scripture, and yet we come up with all these questions. You know, can a, can a loving God really... Why would a loving God even make a hell? I mean, forget that he sends people there. Why would he even make it? Or yeah, what about people who, who sincerely follow? But by the way, do you notice people are always sincere? What, what if they sincerely follow another religion? Okay, they picked the wrong one. But they were looking for God. They were trying. They at- attempted a God thing, right? And, and so they picked the wrong one. But hey, we're all impacted by where we're born and the culture that we're in. Hey, let me tell you something about all the other religions. By the way, they're a lot like Christians. Do you know 100% of Christians have failed at following Jesus faithfully and effectively? Did you know that 100% of those super sincere Muslims have failed at living the Islamic faith? Did you know that 100% of Buddhists have failed at living the Buddhist faith? Not, not just missed it by a little bit, they have failed. As a matter of fact, they fail regular and they fail often. You know, atheists, atheists is not a religion, oh my goodness, it sure is. Secular humanism absolutely is the religion that dominates America today. Sadly, too often the church. But even the, the atheist has an idea, a worldview of what's right and wrong, and I decide what's right. Do you know we don't live up to our own idea of what's right and wrong? You fail at your own ideas. So I don't know what the word sincerely means. We sincerely picked the wrong religion and then we sincerely failed at it. Well, you, you know, what, what about people who just didn't know? They, they, they didn't know. And, and, you know, can it be forever? We've already addressed that. All kinds of questions we come up with. I don't know how many different questions. There might be 20, 30, 40 questions. But I think if you take every question there is about hell, it, it falls in two categories. It's, it's gonna, we're basically working with trying to understand two things. Is God really loving and just? And aren't people basically good? Is God really loving and just? You know, I've, I've thought about this this week, and I had this Really cool thought. And then I thought, you know, I don't think I've ever read this or heard anybody say this. And so then I began to question myself. So take this for what it's worth. (laughs) When I'm questioning the love of God over hell, aren't I in effect saying, I want the option of never loving God. But if there's a heaven, I should get it if he's loving. I don't want to ever love him. I don't want to ever know him. But if he's loving, he'll, he'll give me what he's got. That seems like a kind of a backward way of thinking about what love is, doesn't it? God is loving and just. And out of love and justice, and they go together, they, they go hand in hand. We separate them and we talk about them as different things. But if you love somebody, then there's justice. And you work toward justice and you, and you want justice. So God in his love and justice created a hell. A consequence, a real consequence for lawbreakers. 
Now, you and I don't have any emotional response to the word law, do we? But in the Bible, the idea of the law is synonymous with what's right, with what's good, and with what's loving. So if I'm a lawbreaker, I am rebelling against, I am rejecting what is right and what is good and what is loving. And real love responds to that and says, hey, there's a consequence for this, a real consequence for this. And again, my guess is, even when people ask about this, I don't think the problem is that there's punishment for doing wrong. The problem is the forever. And, you know, I've already told you, you know, I don't don't grasp that, but there's these other things I don't grasp, and when I grasp them all, I I think it'll come together. And let me tell you, I think it'll come together really quickly. I think the Bible calls on me to have that faith. You know, you and I, we think, I've got some questions for God, don't I? Don't you? You know, where was he when that happened? Why, Why didn't he? You know, why would he create a hell? I've got, I've got some, some questions. And I, I believe that the instant you and I see Jesus at the second coming, it's not going to take an eternity of research. The instant that we see him, all our questions are answered. And the first word of praise out of our mouth is justice. And I'm going to realize, oh my gosh, he wasn't absent. He wasn't negligent. As a matter of fact, it's more than he was fair. He was perfectly there. He was perfectly moving. He was perfectly working. Not one place did he miss it. Oh my gosh, God, all these places, I thought you were unfair. And we break out in awe and praise of the fairness and justice of God. And I think our question marks, our understanding about hell will fall under that prayer. Do I get it today? No, I don't. But I'm going to go ahead and praise him now. That's what faith is, right? The Bible tells me this is what's happening out there. So I'm going to act like it today and I'm going to praise him for it. God is loving and just. Are we basically good? You know, when we're asking about people who serve these other religions, I mean, they're good people, they're trying their best, or, hey, somebody never heard the gospel, but, I mean, usually what we're doing is we're making the case is we all deserve a chance. You know, I'm I'm basically good. So the, the question, if I deserve a chance, deserve, deserve means I've earned something, right? Am I basically, are you basically good? <laughs> I mean, measured against each other, I, I'm coming off great. I'm going to get a big house next to you. No, you know, we're not that good. You know, we, we operate a lot in America under the idea that people are basically good. And so what drives a lot of our education, what drives a lot of our government is the idea is if we can create the right environment, then we can create good people. And by the way, I'm all for, I don't want anybody to not have a good environment, And yeah, let's pitch in. Let's create the best environment. But boy, let's rest assured, people will continue to prove that no environment will make them good. No environment will make that good. We've proved that over and over. Oh my gosh, we started at the very beginning. How about Adam and Eve? Man, they didn't have a good environment. They had a perfect environment. And they rebelled. 
And then we're going to go to the other end of time. Now, I've taught on the millennium a number of times here. That doesn't mean you heard it or this may be your first time. And so what I'm about to say in a matter of seconds could be kind of confusing. But understand, there's a lot more behind it. But the millennium follows the physical return of Jesus Christ. It follows the second coming. The millennium is not heaven, but it is very heaven-like. This is where the wolf and the lamb lie down together. This is where if you died at 100, you'd be considered cursed. Babies don't die. No babies die in the millennium. The millennium is a very heaven-like, a very perfect-like environment. And, and I believe it's a literal thousand years. Some believe that that millennium is more symbolic, but still the same idea. And then at the end of that millennium, Revelation 20 communicates that God will let Satan out for what he calls a little season. And in that little season, Jesus, or Satan will be able to amass an army to attack Christ. Not the, not the Christ we've had faith that he exists, the Christ that has been visibly, physically ruling in Jerusalem. And he'll be able to amass an army to go and attack Christ. We say, well, how many people will he get? Revelation 20 says they number like the sand on the seashore. So you see what God's doing, bookending the Bible? On the front end, there's two people. On the back end, it's masses. And what God is proving in both of these is when you enter heaven, it is not by your goodness. When you enter heaven, it is by my grace and it is by the blood of Jesus Christ that you have that escape route, that you have that opportunity. Not your goodness. Man, no matter what I give y'all, no matter what perfect environment, no matter what truth, you fail. As a matter of fact, isn't that another idea? Boy, do people need to be educated. They need to have the knowledge. And then we'll be what, good? Well, let's just take this room right here. You and I know there's a God. We know there's right and wrong. We know there's heaven and hell. We know there's an accounting. We know all this. And yet, not in our lives, this week we rebelled against the Savior we sang to this morning. We lied. We lusted. We got revenge. We were selfish in, well, I don't want to say everything, right? Knowledge cleaned us up, made us good. Think of all we know that God has given us. Is there a single week we don't fight it and rebel against it? We're not, we're not basically good. <laughs> As a matter of fact, gosh, how bad are we? we? We do one good thing and we think God owes us, don't we? You know how many people darken the door of a church today because they're in trouble? I'm in trouble. I'll go to church. And when I walk into the car, I'm like, hey, God, I, I did my part. Feels like you should now do your part. Hey, I, need, I don't know if you can help, but if you can help, hey, I, I prayed. Threw, threw some money in the plate. They don't even have a plate anymore, Lord. I had to track a box down and I go out of my way to give. You see, we do any kind of good, and oh my gosh, we're so ready to applaud ourselves and actually act like God owes us. Folks, this is why God says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all missed the standard of holiness. 
God is holy. His heaven is holy. You and I don't, honestly, we don't care a bit at all about holiness. And I can prove that by the way we all minimize our sin. But that is, that is the standard. Well, I think that standard's too high. What kind of God sets in a standard nobody can meet? Oh, so you're still arguing for how good you are. You know, folks, I, I don't want to be unclear. You, you and I can do good things. We do good things, don't we? Not that we can, we do. I am confident you do good things. I am confident that you have good thoughts. I'm confident you have little warm fuzzies bubbling up all inside you all the time. And yet, have you noticed the stream of hate never stops? The stream of bitterness never stops. The stream of anger, ne- you know what's going on inside you. Do I really have to prove something here? With all the little good we can run around doing, the bad never stops flowing. Oh, Jesus, can you save me? Can you save me from my sin? Can you save me from myself? Can you rescue me out of a very real hell? And the father says, my son is mighty to save. No one here, no one, no matter where you've been, what you've done, what you've been, there's nobody beyond the rescue. God created a way. Here we are debating his love and his just. He provided a way. Not a single person has to go to hell. He provided a way in his son. And do you know, we even debate that. God makes it so, there is a heaven, there's a hell, and this is the way to heaven. And we fight it. I, I bet people, are, why is there just one way? Oh, gosh, an American loves being told there's just one way, Right? I mean, literally, our worldview mocks the concept of one way. You want to know what would be unjust? Is for the father to call his son to go to the cross, the son willingly, lovingly going to that cross to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin. And then the father looks at you and me and says, okay, I've made a way for y'all through my son. Or whatever else other way you come up with. If any old way I came up with and a decent shot at being good got me in, then why would the Father send His Son to the cross? That is injustice. If it's the only way, then it makes all the sense in the world. But remember, while there's only one way, it is open to everybody. And this is why Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, And I am the life. No one, no one at any time, no one who's sincere or insincere, no one in this religion or that religion, no one, no one ever, no one anywhere can get to the Father except through me. Now we can debate that, we can be angry about it, we can hate it. I don't know about y'all, I just want to grab hold. A way's been provided, I'll take it. Have you taken the way? Jesus, he's mighty to save. What a blessing to know what I've been saved from. Let's pray. Father, I, uh, 
I pray for everybody in this room. I pray for those watching online right now that you would send your Holy Spirit to speak in each one of our hearts and minds. Lord, would you give us that confidence that though we fail and stumble, oh, we have placed our true and genuine faith in your Son, the Messiah, the Lord Christ. My confidence is not in the good I've tried to be or do, but my confidence is in the good that you are. My confidence is in what Jesus accomplished for me in the death, burial, and resurrection. And Lord, I believe, I trust, many of us in here can celebrate, yes, that is my faith, my hope, my confidence. But Lord, if there's anybody here today that has not done that yet, is confused by that, oh Lord, speak to their heart right now and call them. Call them to yourself, Father. For no one comes to you other than that you call them. Father, call them and tell them right now, you you, you have not grabbed a hold of the way. And I'm calling you now to escape. I'm calling you now to seize what I have provided for you. Oh, Lord, let them know they need you. Let them know they need the rescue that you have provided. I pray in the name of Jesus that Satan is bound. And he would no way interfere with, with fear or with skepticism or confusion or with apathy. Oh God, open our heart, our mind, our ears to your word. And thank you. Thank you for saving me from hell. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.